the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days, or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Good evening, family. Ron Geyer back with End Time Insights. Still talking about suffering. I hope you're not suffering through this. No. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening. We love you. We thank the Lord for the opportunity and the privilege for talking to you. We talk about the stuff that you won't hear from your pastor. We talk about stuff that's not popular. And we're just here to fill in the blanks to make sure that you're a complete Christian, that you're doing what God wants you to do, whether it's popular or not popular. And obviously, the topic of suffering isn't popular. Last week, we left off with the fact that uh, Jesus had to learn how to obey God through the things that he suffered. We talked about that Paul prayed that he would know God, that he would know not only the power, the resurrection power, but that he would be able to know the suffering that Christ went through. We talked about that in, let's see, that's going to be in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. And it's just such a a rich topic, Uh, Paul praying that. It's a prayer we don't pray. You know, I don't waste time. I get here and I just get right into the lesson. It's on my heart. And God wants you to know this because he wants you to be prepared. Amen. So we talk about people trying to explain what is Paul saying that I can share in his suffering. I mean, Paul is so different. I look at the people, the prosperity gospel. I look at the people that are after your money, and I look at the way Paul dealt with uh, money and collections, and it's totally different than what's going on out there. I see preachers telling you that God will not let you go through physical pain. Uh, You're a member of the church. It's a new covenant. Almost he's a new God, but he's the same God. And pain and suffering is one of the ways that God prepares you for heaven. So anyway, we're not there yet. We're working there. But through teaching like this, we will prepare you so that you will enter into heaven. First Peter 2.21, For even here unto were you called suffering, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. You know, we want to be like Christ. You heard about it. What would Jesus do? We've been created in the image of God. We want to be just like Jesus. Well, on all the good stuff, we want the power. We want the holiness, I think. You know, we want devils to obey us. We want the authority. And yet, when it comes to suffering, we want nothing to do with that. First Peter 2.21 again, For even unto this were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, and he left us an example that we should follow in his steps. That means, where did Jesus' steps take us? They took us to the cross. Guess what, saints? Paul says, I die daily. Pick up your cross, saints. Follow the Lord Christ. 
1 Peter 4.13. But rejoice, hallelujah, inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. That's a new one. Not only are you called to suffer, but you are called to rejoice in the midst of those sufferings. You know, attitude. Attitude is very important. You have to have the right attitude in these sufferings. There's no woe is me type of deal. God chastised Job for that. It's rejoice in your sufferings because you're being made conformable unto Christ. But rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you do not suffer, you will not see the glory of God. If you do not go through tribulations, you will not enter into the kingdom of God. It's got nothing to do with your salvation. It's the evidence of your salvation. But great news, God's so good, he doesn't leave us alone in the suffering. Look at this, Acts 9, 3 through 6. This is important. And he fell to the earth, uh, Paul, and he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now, pay attention. Follow this. Very important. Where was Jesus when Paul was persecuting him? Remember, Paul, he gets letters from the leaders of the religious sects, and he, he actually hunts down the Christians. You know, it's the same spirit as the abortion. We can't wait for the baby to get out of the womb. We've got to go into the womb to kill the womb to get the baby out of the womb before he's even born. She's even born. And look at the eagerness. Satan always has eagerness behind his evil. Paul, he couldn't find enough Christians to persecute where he was, so he asked for letters to go to different cities, and he got them, and he's on the road to Damascus, and God stops him in his tracks, knocks him on his butt, and he says, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? Jesus didn't see it as persecuting individuals. He saw it when you persecute the church, you persecute Christ. And so, Jesus said, why are you doing this? And Jesus saw Paul's persecution of the church as his own. You must recognize that. When you are persecuted for the cause of Christ, Jesus sees that as personal. He takes it personal. When one persecutes the church, they are persecuting Jesus. Uh, Precept Austin had this. Every believer knows the deepest moments of spiritual fellowship with the living Christ are the direct result of intense suffering. Did you catch that? I'm going to read it again. Every believer knows that the deepest moments of spiritual fellowship with the living Jesus are the direct result of intense suffering. Suffering drives us to Christ because in Christ we find the sympathetic, merciful high priest who cares, who comforts, who feels our pain, and who was tempted in every way just as we are. This is God's divine formula for fellowship to strengthen every suffering saint. I love it. Suffering should drive you to Christ. And it's so good because he'll meet you there. He's there. He's on the road to suffering. It's there you'll find him. I'm sorry to say this, but those who teach the church needn't suffer because Christ has already suffered will never truly know Christ. Those who avoid suffering, those who refuse to suffer, are denying Christ the lordship over their lives that he demands. There's a huge difference between being saved and having Jesus be your Lord and being saved. Once again, let me say that right. There's a huge difference between saved and having Jesus as your Lord. Many of us have him as our Savior, but we've never given him the Lordship over our lives. Man has ignored the rules of God in order to gain heaven. We refuse the tribulation God sends our way and we will never witness his glory. 
We have changed the gospel. We have cheapened the gospel. We have lost sight of the purpose of the gospel because we feel we know better. Sorry, guys, that's not Christianity. One of the dangers that comes from denying the lordship of Christ in the earth today is that it will lead to all sorts of other errors concerning doctrine, concerning his lordship, his rules, and his authority. Truthfully, denying Christ's sovereignty in the earth today is the Christian versions of Romans one twenty-five. It's the prelude to apostasy, and it's in the church. Second Peter two one. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately, privily, secretly shall bring in damnable heresies, destructive heresies, damnable heresies. That means their damnation. These false doctrines, these destructive heresies. The word for destructive there, it actually means these are finally damning. That's how dangerous they are. Even denying the Lord that brought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Even denying the Lord that brought them. That's That phrase is so intense. There are many ways we deny Christ. That phrase is better translated as denying the Lordship of Jesus. We deny Christ his rightful place in the earth as Lord. And that leads to tremendous doctrinal errors and interferes with our ability to know him as he's revealing himself. The easy to read version reads, they will even refuse to follow the master. These are Bible teachers, the expanded Bible. They will even refuse to accept the lordship of the master. A major problem in Christianity is that Christians want to be saved, but we deny Christ's absolute lordship over our lives. Remember, why call me Lord and do not the things that you've called me to do? In that day, many will tell me, Lord, Lord, did not we prophesy, did not we cast out demons? And God, will, Jesus will tell them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. There's a difference between being saved and having Jesus Christ as your Lord. It's just one more step in mankind assuming control over the earth. Satan tried it. Man has been trying it for centuries now. The church has finally gotten on board with that effort also. Once we start blaming the devil for controlling the weather, the storms, the floods, plagues, hurricanes, crop failure, famines, whatever, these are all under the control of God. Once we give that power and authority over to Satan, it opens up a whole can of spiritual worms. For example, the Bible clearly states that it's God and God alone who sends plagues and storms and hurricanes and famines as correctional judgments. They have a purpose. You know, God's desire is that nobody perish, and he doesn't want anybody to go to hell. And his plan is for the church, hey, read the Bible, learn about me, learn, understand what's going on. But we refuse to read the Bible, and if you don't read it, you won't know it, and if you don't know the Bible, you won't know Christ. So then God has to send prophets to tell us what he's trying to do. And they're hard voices. They're judgmental voices. In the old days, the prophets, they went ahead and they never blessed people. They never told people God was going to make them rich. They rebuked them for their sin. They were designed, the prophets of old were designed to speak for God that you're in error. You're drifting away from God. Return unto Christ. Repent. Well, we've got this thing now, these New Testament prophets, we say, they prophesy about prosperity. They prophesy about the president. They prophesy about political leaders. You're going to have the political leader you want. I mean, this is nonsense. We've got to leave this nonsense behind. When we deny Christ in these judgments, we also fail to receive the correction that is within the judgments. 9-11, planes came. They attacked the Twin Towers in New York. 3,000 people were killed. 
And it was God's way of letting us know, hey, you're heading down the wrong path. You can't kill these children. You can't live sexually depraved lifestyles. And yet churches got full for a while, which was good. It worked. The judgments of God were designed to show the world what righteous living should look like. The Bible says God is known by the judgments which he executes. So for a couple of months, people went back in the church, but the church failed to associate these judgments with correctional moves by God. We blamed the devil. And when you blame the devil, when you don't receive them as corrections by the Lord, you never learn the lesson. And so here we are, killing more babies than ever. Really rampant homosexual, rampant sexual depravity across our land. We will never learn obedience. We will never have the opportunity to be like Christ without suffering. And so we're suffering without the knowledge of God, which is wrong. Our church needs to do a better job to let you know. Don't forget, if Christ learned obedience by the things which he suffered, we're no different. Is a servant greater than a master? No, we're going to learn this stuff the way God says it. We will never experience his glory either. We will never fully develop as Christians if we keep dismissing the judgments of God is from Satan and fighting against the suffering that we're going through. Remember, we are supposed to be rejoicing in this suffering that God loves us enough to mold us into the image of Christ. There are no shortcuts to knowing God. There's no five-step plan to knowing God. You know him by his judgments. You find him in prayer. You meet him in your suffering. You live in him in his word. You discover him in your weakness and your failures, and you run to him in your sin. So there are three aspects to suffering that we need to understand, or let's say it better, there are three causes for the suffering coming in our lives. And the first, suffering for the gospel, or suffering for Christ's sake, or suffering unjustly. 2 Timothy 1.8, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord Jesus, nor of me his prisoner. But be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. There's a lot in there. I love that. It's really, really good. Again, the gospel has its own inherent afflictions that come with it. If you have anything to do with the gospel, whether you preach it, whether you believe it, whether you live it, you will go through the afflictions. The gospel, it's confrontational. It's threatening to those who sin, and it's convicting to those who have rejected God's Messiah. They openly oppose the gospel truth. You will be persecuted for living by these truths. These folks have killed God's prophets, the ones who oppose the gospel. They have persecuted God's people. They work for Satan. But that is part of the affliction that comes with being associated with the gospel. Let me read it again. Be thou a partaker. That's a command. You must be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. But look at this. According to the power of God. I love that. You know, God makes the rules. God has boundaries, okay? If you're going to be afflicted for the gospel's sake, there are rules that that affliction must follow. I don't pretend to know them all. They're probably different in each case, but it's God who's in control of what's going on there. Don't ever doubt that. He is the sovereign Lord of the earth. Allow him to be the sovereign Lord of your life. The second aspect of suffering, there's suffering that comes by just living in this fallen world. Galatians 1.4, Paul, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Very interesting. God has a plan for your deliverance. Who gave himself for our sins, Jesus, that Jesus might deliver us from this present evil world 
according to the will of God in our Father. So God has a plan for what? God has a plan for your suffering, and he's also got a plan for your deliverance. We need to trust God. This is where faith comes in. Faith is more than getting new cars, prettier wives, better jobs, promotions, increases. Faith is for trusting God in your suffering, trusting God when you're going through the afflictions, trusting God for your deliverance. We don't live in paradise down here, guys. You got to understand that. Far from it. The environment in which we currently live, it's not a nice place. It's destined for eternal fire because of sin. Paul calls this world evil. It is against Christ. And because it's against Christ, if you're a Christian, it is against you as well. But not just the Christians suffer by living here. Most everybody will go through the pain and the suffering of living in a fallen world. Death, obviously, sickness, pain, depression, defeat, heartache, accidents, injuries, deaths, murders, all sorts of evil are loose on the earth. And we all are going to be victims of that in some manner. You know, Christ and only Christ is able to deliver us from this evil fallen world. Christ has delivered us from the power of sin, but there's still sin. Sin is still present. It's in this backdrop of sin in a fallen world that the church must operate. And that's what we're doing. We're operating. We're winning souls. Yes, we're discipling those that we win. Yes, we are restraining evil. Yes, basically those are the three things that we're doing as the church. And the third aspect of suffering is the suffering which comes from God. What? You didn't say that, did you? Of course I did. If Christ had Jesus to go through suffering as a way of learning obedience, then you're going to go through it too. So let's quickly look at the who that is behind suffering and afflictions. And generally, it's going to be God. Let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. This is the New American Standard Bible. This is really neat. Paul is writing to the Thessalonians, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, as is only fitting. Why? Because your faith is increasing abundantly, and the love of each and every one of you towards one another grows greater and greater. That's awesome. Paul is bragging on them. He's saying that we got to give thanks to God. We do give thanks to God because why? Because your faith is increasing and your love is growing towards one another. And then he says, as a result, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. Whoa, that's pretty heavy. So their faith is growing and their love is growing. That's great because that's what Christians do. But here it's in this context that Paul wants to single them out for blessing and for congratulations. It's because their perseverance and their faith is in the midst of persecution and afflictions that they're enduring. That's awesome. They're doing it well. They're doing it joyfully. Remember, we told you in Peter that for even here unto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. These guys were doing that. They were suffering great tribulation. They were suffering for Christ's sake, for the gospel's sake. And this suffering is the result of being associated with the gospel. And God knows that. And yet they are being congratulated throughout all the churches. And in verse 5, Paul goes on to this. And this is a strange phrase, but when you study it out, you'll understand what he's saying. He says, this suffering is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are indeed suffering. The NIV reads that verse this way. 
All this suffering is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Now, at first blush, when you read that, you're thinking, now, wait a minute. I've already been made worthy for the kingdom of God through my decision to repent of my sin and accept Jesus Christ as my Lord. He alone can make me worthy for the kingdom of God. That is absolutely correct. Nothing else will make you worthy of the kingdom of God. But that's not what Paul is telling you here. You have to understand that Scripture supports Scripture. And if sometimes you've got to look at different translations to get the proper context of what Paul or somebody else is saying. Basically, in this verse, Paul is congratulating the Thessalonians for their faith. And why is he doing that? Because their faith is growing and it's resulting in a manifestation of greater love. In verse 4, Paul tells us that all this is happening while they're going through great suffering and persecution and tribulation. They're having a tough time, yet their faith is strong, and they are standing firm together. This is so important. True church families will always stand together against the enemy or in the midst of God's sent suffering or in hard times. It's this love that marks us as Christians. Verse 5, it gets a little tricky where he says, this is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment. At first reading of this part of the verse, it would seem that the persecutions and the afflictions were evidence of God's proper judgment. But let's look at that in the context of the first two verses. The believers here are worthy of the kingdom of God because, as Paul said, they have kept their faith and they have demonstrated God's love even while going through this great suffering. But look at the attitude. They're bringing God glory. They are joyous in their suffering. Paul was pleased with the way they were handling it. That's because he warned them beforehand what to expect so they weren't taken by surprise. Unlike us here in America, we haven't been warned. We aren't doing our job. Part of discipleship is to prepare the saints for heaven, absolutely. But that includes preparing them for the road that they must travel to get there. And the road that they must travel to get there is the same road that Jesus traveled to get back to God. That road is called the road of suffering. These saints, they were not self-centered as we are today. They were focused on God's kingdom, not on themselves. Their focus was not on personal fulfillment and their own joy, comfort, or happiness. They weren't trying to live their best lives now. They were correctly visioned for God's glory and his purposes. We earned for that. First Thessalonians 3.5, let's nail this down. Let's study the word worthy. The word worthy is kataxiu. K-A-T-A-X-I-O-O, kataxiu. Here it means to declare one is worthy, to announce one is worthy, not to make one worthy. Christ already did that at the new birth. And that fits well because we have already been made worthy when we accepted Christ and became born again children of God. Further, it references having been made worthy at some past point in time. This is a past tense usage of the word kataxiu. Some translators use this word and apply it to mean worthy in the future sense, which would be wrong. We have already been made worthy. Commentator Lewis says it like this, and this will clear it up. Their worthiness, the saints' worthiness to participate in the kingdom of God was established well before persecution came upon them. It was established when they placed their faith and their trust in what Christ did on behalf by dying on the cross. There is no human effort involved in meriting the kingdom of God. These believers had outwardly confirmed the inward truth by their spirit-enabled supernatural response to the persecution. 
Going back to plain indication of the righteous judgment of God, Paul doesn't say God is using these persecutions and afflictions as a righteous judgment upon the saints to make them worthy. He is affirming the righteous judgment he exhibited in selecting these saints to be his children to go through the suffering. He is using their suffering to confirm he made the right choice. He made a proper judgment when he chose you and me to go through the suffering. That's all he's saying. God chose righteously. He judged their hearts worthy for the kingdom already and now is using their reaction to the suffering to reveal their worthiness for the kingdom, not to earn it. Paul says this is a plain indication of the righteous judgment, the wisdom of God. He is saying it's obvious God knows what he's doing. Father knows them that are his. Lastly, note that these saints haven't done anything wrong. They aren't suffering because they sinned or they did anything wrong. They are suffering because they associate with Jesus and his kingdom. In my view, the highest form of suffering. So you see that God will try his own people. God will test his own people. It's part of our witness. And if Christ had to go home by taking the road of suffering, then we do too. Lord, I pray that this message is clear. I pray that we don't fear the suffering, Father God, but we embrace it as the privilege of being like Christ in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.